You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back, guys! Uh, welcome back to Twibbly. We have a brand new episode this week, and my name is Bill with one L. With me, when there's no more room in hell, the Jeff will walk the earth. It's Mr. Jeff McLarge. There, it's true. Um, it was very crowded. Uh, it was very, very crowded where I was. So, but um, yes, I am very happy to be back here. All the way into August, which technically we aren't, but it, it is exciting to know that I will be around in August to listen to this episode. So before your little uh, incident there back in May, mm-hmm. I had gone, we had taken another couple of episodes, you know, weeks off from recording because I had gone up to Montreal to go That's see right. uh, in my concerts and all that. Yes, where we were staying was about. Uh, it was in kilometers. I don't remember how far it was. It was something like about a mile, maybe a mile from the venue. Mm-hmm. And in between our Airbnb and the venue, somewhere in there, is Montreal's red light district. Right. So you're at one point, you're just like walking, you know, stepping over people sleeping on the street. There's, are they prostitutes? Probably. Prostitution is not legal, but they kind of like, don't really enforce it either over there. Right. You know, one of those kind of a things. And there's a lot of panhandlers. I mm-hmm. remember this one woman who was like 70 years old in a Guns N' Roses t-shirt. She just comes up to me and goes, hello, and puts her hand out for money. I was like, I don't have money. Well, what, what, you you don't, what, you, what you don't know is that that was Axl Rose. <laughs> that, that would make all the sense in the world. Did he so, offer to sing a couple of bars of Sweet Child of Mine to get the dollar yeah. from you? So later, like the one night, we're walking back after the concert, and this dude, like out of nowhere, walks up to me, and he goes, hey, do you smoke crack? And I was like, no. And this that might be the first time I've ever been asked that question. Right. Why? And he's like pacing and walking with us, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, Wow, do, do you smoke crack? He goes, yeah, I do, man. It's f***ed up. Don't smoke crack. I go, I'm not. <laughs> I wasn't planning to start here in Montreal. Yeah. Have a great I was night. Like, yeah, I, I said to him, I was like, I've heard a lot about it, and none of it's been very good. So I don't think I'm going to smoke crack. And right. I'll, I'll let you know right now, you know, we're all here on, you know, we are, we are, we're on credit cards. We don't have any cash on us. Right, right, right. I can't help, I can't help you out. He goes, no, that's cool, man. It's all right if I, like, walk with you guys and, like, you know, uh, make you laugh. I was like, oh, you, are you going to tell us a joke? He goes, yeah. And then he didn't tell us a joke. He told us some rather uncomfortable story 
that I don't even want to talk about on the show. <laughs> but it wasn't funny. Let's just put it that way. It was right. weird and uncomfortable. And we're continuing to walk. And now we turn the corner. We're out of the red light district. We turn the corner. We've got two blocks to go before we're at our Airbnb. And I don't want this guy following me all that way. Right, right, right. So I said to him, I was like, you want to play hide and seek? Right. You close your eyes and count to 30, and we're going (laughs) to. So I I said to him, I go, what's your name, my new friend? And I don't remember what his name was. It was an unusual name, probably not not unusual in Montreal, but to me it was unusual. It was a variation of Bobby. Yeah. I was like, Bobby, my name is Bill, and I'll I we're gonna get going now though, okay? He goes, Yeah, Bill, that's cool. I'll see you later, all right? I go, Yeah, Bobby, have a good night. He goes, Don't smoke crack, Bill. And I go, You know what, Bobby? I'm not. I can make you that promise. I go, You shouldn't smoke crack either. And he goes, Yeah, I know, but it's fun. I smoke crack because it's fun, Bill. Don't you like doing things that are fun? I go, I do. That's why I'm here in Montreal and I'm going to see some concerts. Maybe you should go see some concerts and stop smoking crack. And then Bobby walked off and I never saw him again. <laughs> but my friends that I stay with when I'm in Montreal, you know, they kind of know me, but they don't really know me yeah, all yeah. that well. Like right. They haven't known me for years. They just know me from the concerts and stuff. They're all looking at me like in awe and they're like, you have a very unusual set of skills, Bill. You know that? <laughs> I'm, I'm a crackhead whisperer. That's my that's yeah, yeah, my yeah, skills yeah, that's what one of them said. They go, you're the bum whisperer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's very, it's very funny. <laughs> Did you happen while you were in Montreal to go by the uh, the house where they shot the movie Kathy's Curse? Remember that? Canuxploitation movie that we watched? Oh, no. I didn't know that was over there. No. Yeah, it's, that Next movie was made there, in Montreal. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to go look. I'll have to look that up next time. Mm. Ah, but uh, before we get into the show proper, uh, we are shuffling things around now for season six. Yeah, season six. I imagine that. Season uh, six. We're shuffle things. Yep, we're going to shuffle things around. Uh, instead of doing the days and the segments and then the birthdays, we're going to be combining the days and the birthdays together. And we're still going to be doing the worst song ever, but... Later on in the year, we'll also be doing the worst movie ever, the worst video game ever, the worst television show ever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're like not just li- limiting ourselves to songs. We're branching out. Well, I think that um, after six seasons, we're starting to run out of songs. I was struggling. And we're also running out of good things to talk about. Right. You know, it's, it's a, you know there's only so many uh, interesting things. You know, Otherwise, we're talking about uh, so-and-so invented the uh, the snacking goldfish that, <laughs> <laughs> I yes. like the pizza ones. What do you got for the next day? All right. All right. But one thing that isn't going anywhere, even though I'm struggling, but the reason why it's not going anywhere is because it's very popular. Not only is it very popular, it's also very well received. We have the trivia question, young Jeff. Oh, excellent. And where we left off before we went into uh, hibernation mode, you had three Trivia questions in a row. That's right. Will you make four? I doubt no, it. You, no, you <laughs> will not. Jeff, what we currently know as a computer mouse was not always known as a computer mouse. It had another name prior to that in 1973, to be exact. What was the original name of the computer mouse? The original name of the computer mouse. Well, at the end of the show, I'll break my streak. 
<laughs> All right. But this is going to be the week beginning August the 7th. And Evan Madigan wants to let you know, Jeff, it is your turn to go first. Oh, good. Well, thank you, Evan. August 7th, 1888. The revolving door is patented, Bill. And it's installed 10 years later in the first place uh, in New York City called Rector's Restaurant in Manhattan. <laughs> it was patented a decade before it was installed? I'm pretty sure that it was... It took a long time to try to explain to people who are building buildings. Look, I've got this idea. It's a door, but it never closes. <laughs> like, why would I want a door that doesn't close on my building? You don't understand. It's closed half the time. Right. So anybody can come in and just... and uh, No, you don't understand. It rotates. Like, I don't want a rotating door. So I'm sure it took it, some yeah, time. Yeah, it for probably it. took up 10 years to find somebody that liked it. Right. I don't know how you feel about revolving doors. I'm not crazy about them. I like the ones that I have to push. I don't like the ones that automatically turn because I feel like they go too slow or they go too fast and I'd rather push the door myself. It sounds dumb, but that's that's kind of my approach to revolving doors. Yeah, I get anxiety. There's very few things in life that give me anxiety, but revolving doors are one of them because right. I always that in the airports. And if there's a revolving door at the airport, forget it. I'll just stay home. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like I'm going to screw something up, you know? Right, right. Like, I think it was Gallagher, um, the comedian Gallagher that was talking about, like, what do you do, like, in a lady and gentleman situation? Do you, like, go in first yourself and then leave her behind and then right. you have to go all the way around and then get her and then you put her in first and then you <laughs> you push too fast and you hit her in the ass with it and then she's all pissed off at you. There's, there's a lose-lose situation going on with the revolving door. This is exactly like, the was it the Microsoft job interview question where you're in a rowboat and you have to cross a stream and you've got a, a fox, a chicken, and a bag of grain, but you can only bring one thing across at a time. How yeah, you do right, it with yeah. it, right? Yeah. So the revolving door is the same sort of idea. For me, you're thinking about first place this was installed. The first people who walked through it must have been like, I'm back out on the sidewalk again. I don't understand. Because they just follow the door yeah. around and it but pumps them back out to where they started from. Like, how do I get into this damn restaurant? <laughs> they probably needed an instruction sheet on the side, like push door and then halfway through jump. <laughs> with the current hysteria around like AI, I just know that one of these days, one of those machines are just going to like turn into like a ninja blender and just with people inside. It's just going to be a, just hands and faces pressed up against the window and just blood streaks everywhere. <laughs> I'm sure there's a Stephen King story somewhere where it's unfinished, but it's like during his period when he was writing about inanimate objects becoming inanimate and eating people like the mangler, there's probably a oh, revolving a door story. It's a Bill with one L story now. It's a Bill with one L story All right. now. Moving on. August the 8th, 1992, what came to be known as the Dream Team clinched the gold medal at the Barcelona Summer Olympics. The United States basketball team beat Croatia 117 to 85. Now, I don't know a real lot about basketball, but I do know that 117 to 85 is a smacking. That is definitely a smacking. Prior to 1992, professional athletes weren't allowed to compete in the Olympics. Right. That was like a, a big sticking point of like athletes in America that if they wanted to be in the Olympics, they had to hold off on going professional. And I think America was like one of the few countries that, you know, had professional sports like that. So right. they had to abide by that rule. 
I guess they put up a big enough stink where they're like, you know, this is kind of you know BS. So we finally got allowed to have professional athletes in the Olympics, and then the rest of the world found out why we weren't allowed to have professional athletes prior to that because that was just a spanking. I think part of it was that in the preceding Olympic contests in four years, eight years, 16 years, etc., earlier yeah. is when the U.S. is fielding a basketball team to go and play basketball, they're right. pulling people from like high school and college and trying to get them to learn to play together, and then they go off and Croatia beats them by like 20 points like every year they just get murdered the same the u.s olympic soccer team they also got used to get murdered every year Mm -hmm. every olympics and i'm sure that that by 92 or 91 when they started pushing hard for this that it was like we're we're not going to put up with this stuff anymore and they opened it up to professional athletes and it was like watching basketball playing robots specifically designed to beat croatia (laughs) beat croatia It was like watching a Harlem Globetrotters game, yeah. It was like watching the Harlem Globetrotters, except they played just straight-on basketball for, you know, four periods, four, four quarters. Um, yeah, except for, like, Charles Barkley didn't have a big bucket of confetti, right? Right. So uh, I don't know all of the names on here, but some of these names just, like, leap out at me because they're just such famous players. Patrick Ewing. Yep. Larry Bird, yep. Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan, uh, Charles Barkley, Magic Johnson. And like I said, I don't know too much about basketball, but I do know that the games usually end up being very close. They uh, are generally you know, within five or to ten points of each other, yeah. Right, exactly. But that was not the case in the 1992 Olympics. Going down the list uh, of the six games that were played, so we beat Cuba by 79 points, Canada by 44 points, <laughs> Panama by 60 points, Argentina by 41 points, Puerto Rico, which is confusing to me because I up until now thought Puerto Rico was part of the United States, but I guess they have their own Olympic team. But we beat, we beat ourselves by 38 points. And then uh, the gold medal game, we beat Venezuela by 47 points. It's, it was definitely grim. Uh, for the other teams. It was entertaining to watch because I remember watching many of those games and being like, (laughs) you know, it's not every day you get to watch like a a massacre, but this was a a massacre. And and ultimately I I felt bad because like the uh, the amateur aspect of the Olympics is, is part of what makes it interesting. So you're not, you know, you're dealing with people who've trained and trained and trained and trained, but they also have other aspects of their life that they have to do. Right. And have to come together and sort of learn to do these things together. And then it's the same in every country. There's a, there's, it levels the playing field. But then when you get guys who are like professionals, who all they do all day long is play basketball, they play basketball, you know, 322 days a year. Sure. It's just, it's just, it's just madness. All right. Moving on to August the 9th. Jeff, what are we doing? August 9th, we're going to add in one of our celebrity birthdays. And it is uh, an actor born in 1927 named Robert Shaw, born in Ireland, became really famous for his role as Grant, the the assassin sent to kill James Bond in From Russia with Love. He's also... Probably probably best known. uh, I know Robert Shaw as playing Quint in Jaws. Yes. I remember being down in Florida on a, a charter bus or whatever it was, and... You know, a bunch of us are talking, and I mentioned being from Massachusetts. And this kid goes, yeah, I know you're from Massachusetts. I can hear it in your voice. My aunt lives down the Cape. He goes, you all talk like Kennedys and shit. 
And I was like, listen, <laughs> listen, young man, I'll have you know that nobody but the Kennedys and Quint from Jaws talks like that. Okay, <laughs> It's a very distinct accent. It is a very distinct accent. And then from there, I dragged my fingernails down the, uh, the chalkboard. <laughs> Just to prove a point. Just to prove a point. Crush a beer can on your head. And then I showed him all the scars on my leg, and we laughed about it. Uh, here's to swimming with bow-legged women. <laughs> all right, so moving on to August the 10th, 1948. Holy cow, I had no idea it was this old. August the 10th, 1948 is the debut of the television show Candid Camera. Smile. Hosted by Alan Funt. Smile. You're on Candid Camera. I used to love yeah. this show when I was in uh, just a wee lad because it was very funny. I had no idea that it started that early because we used to watch it in syndication. I guess my parents used to like watching it mm -hmm. whenever it was on in uh, original runnings. So for our younger audience, and basically everybody, Candid Camera was a television show where they would have a hidden camera. It was a hidden camera show. Yep. And they would put unsuspecting victims in unusual situations and record their reactions. Yes. You know, so they would have like, Oh, I don't know. Just like an old, I can't even describe what they would have. It was, sometimes it was a little body, but not really. So you would have like a, a waitress at a restaurant and maybe her skirt would get caught on something or something unusual. And it was just like I said, film unsuspecting victims reactions. It was, it was like a I prank show, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. It was a prank show. Basically the very first reality show, if you want to get right down to it. Right. I actually have a favorite bit from that show and it's one they did a few times and it never stopped being funny to me which is replacing bowling pins with bowling pins made of plaster of paris so that all right when somebody throws a strike the pins just shatter into dust dust and, and they shards explode, yeah. and they explode <laughs> and they're caught on camera one baffled by what they just did two afraid that they broke the bowling alley <laughs> and <laughs> and three getting like everybody's laughing at them and they're like whoa why that was always one of my favorite setups that they did i think they did that one like in the 50s the 60s the 70s and even in the 80s yeah and lived on in one format or another all the way up to 1992 i remember being a kid and wanting because i like i like the show and i remember one they had like r-rated versions of it on hbo called candid candid camera so it was basically like candid camera with tits and <laughs> with boobs um and if, yeah it's like you can't watch that you're you go to catholic school but i wanted to watch it you know uh, <laughs> and then later on it, it kind of got like a it got reincarnated there was a television show hosted by dick clark and ed mcmahon remember bloopers and practical jokes i do remember that show and i yep. i remember it being a lesser uh, like a lesser funny version of America's Funniest Home Videos, which had also come out in the interim, which right. was way funnier. But I remember right. the bloopers right. and practical the, jokes, yes. Yep, and the practical jokes was like, you know, very similar to Candid Camera. Yes. And then more recently, there was another television show called Punked, where yep. they basically would do Candid Camera style stuff, but like on celebrities. And that was hosted by Ashton Kutcher right. on MTV. Yes, I remember that show as well, and uh, I remember it being they did uh, some of the same gags that they did on Candid Camera. And it's funny because it doesn't—I guess it doesn't matter who you are, uh, your reaction is the same: disbelief, and then you cackle uh, on camera. So, 
yep. irrespective of what the, the joke is. So it's a good show, good good concept, and it's one that has lasted a very long time. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, because it's been out of the public eye for like so long, you know, saying, am I on candid camera is actually a really funny thing to say if something weird is happening right. to you. But unfortunately, that kind of like cliche has, you know, gone the way of the 10 cent cigar. I don't, I don't know if, if candid camera would work as well today as it did in the 60s, 70s, and, and early 80s, only by virtue oh, of no, like... Oh, no, somebody would get shot. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, we're, we're, it's going to be an armed society, it's a polite society, but at some point you're going to be like, ta-da, and then machine gun bullets rain down on somebody, you know? <laughs> Alan Funt would have to come out in like a vest and and helmet and mask and, and he'd still get punched in the mouth. He'd still get punched in the mouth. Yep. All right, moving on to the eleventh, August eleventh, another celebrity birthday, nineteen fifty three. A man named Terry Bolia is born. He's better known as Hulk Hogan from the WWF, then the WWE, then the WCW, and all mixed in between. Where he was the heavyweight champion from eighty four to eighty nine. And body slammed Andre the Giant. Probably best known for his movie Santa with Muscles. <laughs> Suburban Commando. <laughs> uh, Hulk Hogan was absolutely phenomenal in the early 80s. He beat the Iron Sheik, who as of this recording has just passed away, but that was a couple months ago now. He beat the Iron Sheik for the World Wrestling Federation title. He held that title for three straight years, which was a very long run. Like you said, very famously was the quote-unquote first person right. to body slam Andre the Giant in a record attendance at the Pontiac Silverdome at WrestleMania three. The guy made wrestling what it was and what it is. Wrestling would not be the global phenomenon that it is if it wasn't for Hulk Hogan. Yeah, he was the very first like super superstar. Very charismatic. Yep. Uh, you know, the guy could cut one hell of a promo. A lot of people make reference to the fact, well, he couldn't wrestle. He could wrestle. If you ever see like his matches from like uh, New Japan mm-hmm. and stuff like that, he did all sorts of crazy stuff. Right. It's just that that's that was Vince McMahon's bread and butter, you know? Right. And he didn't want Hulk Hogan getting injured. So Hulk Hogan did very, very, very safe matches. Yes. And again, you don't want to hurt the guy that brings in the crowds. Because you need those crowds right. to come in. Recently, I watched an episode of you know some wrestling interview show, and they asked Hulk Hogan if you could change anything about your career, what would you change? And he says, I would have picked a different finisher, because Hulk Hogan's finisher was he would body slam the guy and then he would give him a leg drop. Right. And for starters, that move sucks. Yeah. It doesn't look like it hurts anybody. Yeah. But as Hulk Hogan put it. He goes, when you're wrestling 300 shows a year and you're jumping up three feet in the air and coming down on your own ass. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, for 300 shows a year, how many years did he do it for? His hip, his spine, everything. He's had so many surgeries. Right, right. So, um, happy 70th birthday, Hulk Hogan. Never really been that huge of a Hulk Hogan fan, but I absolutely respect the man and, and what he's done to the business. At the time that he was super popular in the WWF and later the WWE, like that was the that was a tough time for the wrestlers as far as health goes. And he's one of the few who's managed to really come through and make it to seventy. Um, oh, I was right. I was listening yeah. to a wrestling oriented podcast I don't know two weeks ago, 
and it just went through the list of guys who died young from the physical exertion, from the constant touring, from the... It's a really difficult job to do, and he was able to sort of pull it out and wrestle lately into his career and still be alive. So, props yeah, to you. Yeah, not to mention the all-you-can-eat buffet of drugs, too, you know? That's, <laughs> well, I didn't want to bring that up, but yeah, you know. Well, I will. It's a very hectic schedule that they, li- you know, they go through, and a lot of them fall into the Elvis Presley trap, you know? Right. Uppers to wake you up, and then you need something to bring you down so you can go to sleep, and you just, it's a vicious cycle. Right. A lot of wrestlers have passed away young because of that cycle. It's unfortunate. <sighs> All right, uh, moving on to right. August the 12th of 1988. A happier entry, right? Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Um, <laughs> August the 12th, 1988, a very controversial movie opens up in theaters, a movie called... The Last Temptation of Christ. And I remember this movie just like, you would think that they opened up the gates of hell and were charging tickets. Right. Um, there was so many protests about uh, this movie. Yeah, I remember. And, it, and the protests were sent, were centered around, the, there's a segment in the film where The Last Temptation is that, that Jesus is shown a life that he would have if he had married Mary Magdalene and had kids and grew up and just became an old carpenter right that was the like the last temptation that the devil showed him and then he went off to the last supper and ended up crucified anyway it's based on a novel by nikos katsanakis which was really popular in the the uh the 1980s and which makes sense that scorsese would adapt it because it was it was an award-winning bestseller but boy Uh people just not put the like well it's a novel but it's about Jesus, therefore it can't be a novel, therefore it can't be about Jesus. Ah! <laughs> and then their heads exploded in front of the movie theater. Yeah, so I mean it was, you know, basically the telling of the gospel and the, you know, and the passion and all that, but with like a little fan fiction thrown in the middle and you know people weren't having it. I I I don't know. It's like I've actually never seen the movie. I remember catching a, a bit of it. I remember catching a bit of it on like HBO or whatever. And I thought it was pretty odd casting to have Willem Dafoe as Jesus. Yeah, he was great. He was great. Yeah, I know, but like I know Willem Dafoe best as like from American Psycho. Oh, Norman Osborn from Spider Man. Yeah, the yeah the Green Goblin. To see him as Jesus is a little odd. I was like, isn't that Willem Dafoe? Wasn't he a drag (laughs) in that other movie? Yeah. So, but the scene that I uh, happened to catch was when he was, uh, Jesus was in the desert doing his fasting and he is visited by the devil. In the movie, they depicted the devil as a lion, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. I don't know if that comes right out of the book or if that was like Martin Scorsese's kind of like, you know, well, directorial well, the, influence. There's a couple of different versions of the, the devil appears in a couple of different forms in the film. One is as a okay. little girl, one is as a little boy one is is a sort of faceless guy and the other one is the lion all right. so all right because well i thought it was interesting that they used the lion because that's from like a very obscure passage in the bible so obscure that i can't even remember it i just remember whenever i saw the film i asked the you know born again christian that i work with i was like did they ever refer to the devil as a lion in the bible and he goes yes of course and he was like Proverbs, something 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 i was like all right all right that's enough <laughs> ezekiel twenty five seventeen. Well, you took that from pulp fiction yeah not the uh not the last biblical movie to come out certainly not the last movie to get protested by a pe- but a bunch of people that aren't going to watch the movie in the first place 
don't particularly understand protests like that. I, but I don't either. Like, we're living through a period where this kind of stuff is going on now, too, where people are protesting books that they haven't read because the shared information about what the book is about based on somebody's viewpoint gets shared very easily. So it's easy to inflame people. And it was very similar to that when, when this was on, it didn't help that this, this movie was like talked about 9 million times on like the 700 club is, you know, a problematic thing. And that has reached that had reach all over the country. Oh my, imagine if this movie came out in the days of the internet. Oh my God. Yeah. It would have been a nightmare, a nightmare. All right. All right, so let's wrap up the week. August 13th, 1961. The city of Berlin is a partitioned city. So half of it is the capital of East Germany. Half of it is the capital of West Germany. A country that was partitioned at the end of the Second World War. East Germany being tied to the Soviet Union. West Germany being tied to Europe. You cannot partition the Lord with prayer. Right. Um, In an effort to keep people from... Running, jumping, bicycling, possibly skateboarding, roller skating, and or tunneling from East Germany to West Germany, where the standard of living was higher and it was less authoritarian. The East German government strings barbed wire across the city, across the border between the two halves of the city, and within a few days begins building the Berlin Wall. Now, you said 1961? Yep, 1961. All right, just to show you how horrible my brain for history is, I had always kind of linked the Berlin Wall to the end of World War II. Well, I mean, like, the partition of Germany was from the end of World War II, so it, it follows one after the other. Yeah, but I didn't realize it was like 17 years apart. Yeah, eventually you run out of, you know, you start realizing, like, everybody that lives here is going to go over there. <laughs> <laughs> We're losing hundreds every year, and that's, I'm sure... <laughs> it's like going across the border to get cheaper cigarettes. <laughs> right, and, and just staying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. Right. Right. I'm going to live here now, but you can't live here. <laughs> so so that's kind of what happens. And as tensions wrapped, ratcheted up between NATO and the Soviet Union, it became a lot easier for the government in East Germany to really crack down on trying to keep their people from leaving. And they did. And it wasn't until, what, 89, right, when they took the wall down. Right, yeah. And that was kind of like, I think you had said this before on a previous show, but it's been long enough we could talk about it again. Mm-hmm. That the Berlin Wall came down, dissolved, however you want to put it, because of like a clerical error? Kind of, yeah. It was the the mayor of of East Berlin said that they they would do things where they would open the wall now and then so people could reunite with their family and spend time. But he said they were going to open it to anyone who wanted to cross. The the guards were like, well, we just open it. And they just opened it. And then everybody that could run, jump, or swim uh, or drive a Trabant was on their way to West Germany to find their family. (laughs) <laughs> One of the only good things that ever came out of the Berlin Wall was my favorite Sex Pistols song, Holidays in the Sun. Uh, <laughs> other than that, no, probably a bad thing. It wasn't a good thing. But I guess it goes to show you that, you know, in time, even the the countries or collections of countries that have the most animosity can find a way to have better relations, have a more e- equitable relationship with one another, can put some of those barriers aside. Mm-hmm. and make the lives of everybody that lives in those countries better. So yeah. it's a symbol of hope now. As somebody that lives in the 20th and then 21st century, I can say I prefer a unified Germany. There, mm. I've said it. All right. So uh, before we get on to the worst song ever, we're going to do a couple of odd holidays for this week. Uh, two of them are right up your alley there, Jeff. Are they? On 
on August the 9th, we will be celebrating Book Lovers Day. Oh, yes. Are you currently, I know you are, but are you currently reading anything? What's, I am currently, currently reading? reading. All right, it's a list. So I jump from book to book, but I'm reading a book called The Vore by Brian Caitling. I'm reading a book called Such a Fun Age by Riley something. I can't remember her last name. I'm reading Six Column by Robert Heinlein for for the Heinlein Marathon. And I'm reading collections of short stories that I bought in a at an estate sale from the 1970s. So Oof. constantly reading, yes. Oh. Well, uh, right now, let's see, I, I don't like reading fiction. That's my right. thing. I, 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 if I'm going to read, I prefer to read biographies or true stories or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. But I am taking a break uh, from that, and I am currently, quote, unquote, reading. I am uh, doing the audio book of Apt Pupil by Stephen King. Oh, yeah. Good, good from book. From his Four Seasons uh, collection. And Dif- different, wow, different seasons. Different seasons. And wow, is Apt Pupil a great story. Yeah. Like, yep. so so well written, so descriptive. Stephen King has a definite talent for describing what's going on in such a way that you can visualize it very easily. For me, with Stephen King, like, the novella length works that he does, that's the perfect length. I wish he would have done other stuff at that length. Because it's, oh, yes. it's it gives him enough freedom to be a little verbose. But it also constricts his story so that he has to tighten up how he uses characters. I think that the different seasons collection, uh, the body, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, apt people and the other one whose name I can't remember. Nobody can. Nobody (laughs) can. Because it wasn't made into a film. But those are the best stories that he ever did. And I read a lot. I read a lot of Stephen King. And then the other, the other interesting holiday that we have is also a McLarge huge holiday. Oh yeah, August the twelfth is Vinyl Record Day. Nice, another great day. I have a lot of vinyl records too. Yeah. So you pick up anything? I I know. Like a couple of days after you get out of the hospital, I go, well, I guess he's feeling better because you sent me a picture from the record store you had found it up with people vinyl. <laughs> yeah, I did not buy that vinyl, by the way. You um, should have. No, I, I contemplated it, but I was like, uh, no. What I've been buying for records lately is yep. weird old 1960s collections of sort of background music. Like there was a whole collection of records that were released. For example, I have one called Cocktails for Two, which is a piano player and a bongo player and it's just background music. But it's oh. really it's really weird and fun to listen to and to just put on while I'm cleaning or cooking or whatever. So I've started hunting through the bins for those kind of records. If you ever find one called Jungle Exotica, please pick it up for me. I, I, I used to listen I used to listen to a vinyl like that was transferred to like a YouTube thing called Jungle Exotica. And there was that really weird time in the 60s where like jungle beats were popular, Yep, I guess. And it was just a collection of those kind of songs. And it was really, really cool and interesting music. I've also started buying things in languages that I don't speak. So I have a couple of records in French from the 60s and 50s i have a record in japanese from the late 1960s as well so it's really fun to find those records in in like the goodwill bin are they music or are they like spoken no, no, word they're, stuff? no they're music um okay they're, it's, it's music it's like the french ones i have one is a pop music record um the other one is a woman doing like revolutionary songs from the 1800s or 1790s but they're adapted to 
modern music. So adapted to modern music meant that they were adapted in 1930. And then no. she's recording them in the 60s. And they're really weird and neat. And uh, the Japanese one I have is all these like sort of jazz standards sung by a woman in Japanese. Well, we have a piece of Americana coming up for this week's Worst Song Ever. All right, we are continuing with our tradition of doing the worst song ever for this week because we got a request. We got a request uh, several months ago, but as we've discussed, we had uh, we had to take a little hiatus for a little while. Yes. But uh, this request came in from a listener named Anne Marie. She is from Massachusetts, and she wanted us to do a worst song ever segment on the Bob Seger song "Catman Do." Against the West Coast Warner Brothers are such good hoes I raise my whiskey glass and give them a toast I'm sure they know it's true uh, Alright, Jeff. Uh, what, what do you know about Bob Seger? I discovered a lot about Bob Seger this week, but what do you know I, about Bob Seger? I know exactly this much about Bob Seger. Uh, he recorded Kathmandu. Yep. He was used in the Risky Business film, which boosted his career into the 1980s. Yep. And his song closes out American Pop and is the funniest end of a movie I've seen short of The Mist. (laughs) So here's what I've learned about Bob Seger over the past couple of uh, weeks, whenever I was doing my research, uh, looking up Katmandu. A couple of things I learned about Bob Seger. One, that guy's been around forever. Yeah. Like his first album came out in like 1969. Yeah. And then he had a couple of different like backing bands and then he yep. ultimately ultimately settled on what most people know as the Silver Bullet Band. Yes. You know, Bob Seger and the Silver Silver Bullet Band, which is the one that's gonna create the majority of the songs that you know from Bob Seger. Yes. And the majority of the songs that we all know from Bob Seger, it's a bunch of shit, isn't it? <laughs> There's a an audience for this music. It's the group that sort of straddles contemporary country i'm saying contemporary country in 1970s and rock music radio rock music in the 1970s and he fits right in there clunk yeah so like i i wrote the listener i wrote Anne marie back and i was like it's so funny that you picked Catman do because that's like the one bob seger song that i like but <laughs> much to my surprise i was wrong i don't like this song either yeah um, I, you know what I it was though is it. because do you remember a movie that ran on HBO in the 80s called The Mask? Yeah, no, it wasn't The Mask. It was Mask. It was about it was uh, Rocky Rocky Dennis. Yeah, it was a biopic with Cher right, and, was... and Eric Stoltz. Right. And Sam Rocky Elliott. Dennis was a young man who had some physical deformities, but that never let him stop them. He had a real go-get-em tiger attitude. Right. And there was a scene in the movie where they used the song Katmandu from Bob Seger and it fit really well in the scene. Well, that was which, his favorite song in the in the film. That was okay. in the in the biopic. That was his favorite piece of music. And that he okay. was someday he was going to go to Katmandu because he loved the song so much. Well, I don't think Rocky Dennis or Bob Seger knew where Katmandu is because it's like in India. <laughs> it's between India and Pakistan, yeah. Yeah, like he was gonna like he wanted to ride his motorcycle to Katmandu. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> 
I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they have roads, but when it, my picture, you know, my my uh, mind of Kathmandu <laughs> was like basically <laughs> Bugs Bunny cartoons yeah, depictions of India. Yeah, it's it's not it's not easy to get there. Yeah, so I it, I really confused my like of the song with my like of the use of the song. Kind of yep. like the Verve with Bittersweet Symphony. Yes. Like, they used that song very well in the movie Cruel Intentions. Right. But the song isn't that good. The other thing is, uh, the song that I, the version of this song that I know better is the live one from Live Bullet, which was recorded at Cobo Hall in 1976. Uh-huh. Now, you're saying to yourself, and listeners are saying to yourself, whoopee freaking do, Bill. But, right. Uh, Cobo Hall in 1975 is where Kiss recorded their seminal Kiss Alive album. Right. Only a year later, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band pulled in and stunk up the joint. Um, <laughs> I wonder if they had to dub in the uh, the clapping. Yeah, no, they just borrowed it from the Kiss record. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Katmandu uh, Live is a little bit better than the studio one. Because in the studio one, he does that like forced bass drop to his voice, like I got no kick against the West Coast. He doesn't do it like that live. Thankfully, yeah. good taste prevails. Yes. Well, it's it's like it's it's funny. Like with Bob Seger, I like exactly one song of really? his, and I only like it in one use, and it's it's literally it's the one at the end of American Pop, which is a version of Night Moves, which opens just with piano, him on piano. Uh-huh. And then the song builds in with the other orchestration after the first verse. Okay. And it's really good. And it's the it's the only place that that version appears. And I like that song, but I don't like Night Moves when I hear it on the radio because it's different. I don't like Catman Do when I hear it on the radio, even though I don't hear that one very, very often. Uh, or Turn the Page, which I turn the radio off when that comes I on. remember my friend making me like a mixtape of cool songs to listen to, and he put Turn the Page on, and I was like, I'm really glad you put that song last because, yeah, I just shut the tape like right fast, off. Fast forward to the end. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at his greatest hits thing right here. I know it's another thing too is like, I know she picked Katmandu, but we could have very easily done the whole, like did this whole segment without changing too much verbiage yeah. and did it on old time rock and roll. Because yes. Because that song too I, I, again i don't love it and i so that's like that that's a thing like katmandu sounds like it could be a, a little richard song or a, a, a song a Beatles song, like yeah. a Beatles song or a buddy holly song or because it, it definitely borrows a lot musically from the the 1950s and 1960s and adapts it to that sort of grungy 1970s sort of arena right. rock style yeah it's very similar in structure and even in some lyrical content yep. to rock and roll music which i don't remember who did it i think it was chuck berry did it first yes but the, i know the beatles made it famous yeah it's got a very similar structure to that i bet chuck berry was pissed on yeah <laughs> that's really funny <laughs> Funny enough that I don't want to build on top of that. That's good to end the segment. All right, so before we wrap up the show, I do have the answer to our very popular and always well-received trivia question. Three in a row. Will he make it four in a row? We'll see. He's back. He's the comeback kid. Jeff McLarge-Huge, what was the original name of the computer mouse? So, all right, admittedly, I know a little bit about the history of computers and graphical user interfaces because of all the technology training that I wrote. I'm going to pretty sure because this was at Xerox's Park Labs, it 
was probably called something like the computer display device pointer or something equally as pedantic as that. So like computer aid, computer aid device interface pointer or something along those lines, which is a terrible name. I'm going to give it to you. Uh, The actual name is just as much word salad as what you just spit (laughs) out. All right. So I'll give it to you. You got four in a row. Okay. The original name was the XY position indicator for a display system. So rolls right off the tongue. Yeah. Exactly. It's <laughs> a perfect marketing tool for that. <laughs> so that's going to wrap up the show for this week. Welcome back, Jeff. Thank you. It's great to be here. And thank you for all of the, the good wishes, everyone. Thank you so much. Thanks for sticking around, guys. Season six is underway. We'll see you back here in seven days. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, Bye guys. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Make sure you tell all your friends how much you love our podcast. Word of mouth is way, way cheaper than advertising.